Innovation and servicing a backlog oftentimes work against each other. And so you need to leave room to be able to have that spontaneity that sometimes leads to breakthroughs. If you can take away some of that rote work that they were doing with low value before, and now you invert the pyramid of effort and you're starting to tilt it more towards the business, I think that's what starts to make some of this exciting. Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast. I'm Dean Porter de Leon. Choosing your priorities as an IT organization has become exponentially more difficult amid a global landscape that is rapidly shifting every day. Technology leaders have the opportunity and the burden to dramatically differentiate their businesses within their industry or face the prospects of declining revenues and tumbling stock prices. Finding the gaps in the enterprise application portfolio has become a key focus for CIOs and their teams. But knowing how to approach this problem in light of the many new constraints has been a critical area of concern. In this hallway-style conversation between Joe Beta, VMware's principal engineer, and James Waters, CTO, Modern Applications Platforms, they discuss how tech leaders can discover and address these gaps from a trusted manifest-centered approach to application and infrastructure design to improving the developer experience through tools and community. Joe, James, there's a lot of conversations that are being had right now about the relevance, about priority, about what in your app portfolio, what in your stack really is going to move the needle when you need to make sure that you're differentiating yourself in the marketplace. Now, this is high lofty talk here, and everyone always wants to be customer focused and employee focused and have great experiences. But something gets lost when you have this grand vision and you actually want to implement it, especially now when people had to reshuffle their priorities. Joe, why don't I start with you? Give me a sense of when you're having conversations with leaders, technology leaders who are trying to do what's right for the business in order for top line and bottom line, how are they approaching this and where are they finding success and where they feel like they're missing the mark? Where do you feel like there's those gaps in the way that they're approaching it? I think every organization is different. So you have to feel sort of where they are in their journey. Some folks are just getting started in terms of viewing software as an accelerator for their business versus just a cost center. Well, I think others are well down this path and you see everything in between with these things. The biggest thing though that defines success for me is that they start focusing on what can we do to unleash the latent potential of our application teams and our developers. There's a lot of knowledge on the ground. There's a lot of knowledge with those folks that are dealing with these apps. They know where the blockers are. I think a big part of this is just figuring out how do you get out of their way? How do you make it such that they can get the stuff that they need to be successful within 30 seconds instead of two weeks so that you can actually have those faster cycles of innovation and really unlock the latent potential that's already there in your organization. That's fascinating to me because there was one fun quote that a CIO once said. He's like, you know what? You can't just throw Agile in there because I have a backlog right now for code and Agile is just going to make my backlog grow faster. How do I not make my backlog grow faster and actually implement something that actually makes a difference? Backlogs are infinite, right? You're always going to have more on your backlog than you know what to do. I think a big part of this is having the nimbleness to be able to, using the sports ball metaphor, call an audible, right? And be like, hey, you know what? You need room for innovation there. And innovation and servicing a backlog oftentimes work against each other. And so you need to leave room to be able to have that spontaneity that sometimes leads to breakthroughs. Again, some of that is really trusting the application teams to bring their unique ideas. You pay these people a lot of money. You want them to be smart. You have to let them be smart. And I think that's a big part of the shift that needs to happen here. Yeah, one of the most clear conversations I've had, and this was pre-crisis, but I think the themes are very consistent, is I was talking to LOB CTO who was just about to start this new project. And every vendor was coming in kind of hawking their IT wares to them. 
And I gave him a simple filter function, which was, hey, how do you think about what the most developer friendly of this stack is? Like as a developer goes to work with this stack, how friendly are the APIs? How well documented are they? How excited is the developer going to be to wake up, come to work and iterate on this problem with you? Versus how much are you doing a traditional nine-month integration cycle where changing any one part of the stack is going to be very difficult? And I compared it to like Netflix. I said, if Netflix did anything right, they really took a developer-first ethos to their move into streaming. And they said, whatever it takes to get a developer's idea into production and move that way. And that filtered their entire stack out. And they sort of helped invent this idea of cloud apps, which were oriented around that developer experience API first. But I think a lot of organizations are still kind of coming to grips with the idea that they might need to make the APIs of their enterprise more developer-friendly. I think there's another aspect here, at least from the end user's point of view, which is there's a lot of knowledge and experience there. And you have titles and roles, like, oh, you're an application developer. But those things, like the map is not the territory. The people are more than those roles. They have ideas, they have knowledge that stretches outside of that. And so a lot of unlocking innovation and being able to take advantage of this is allowing people to color outside the lines and sometimes have influence that actually rises above the role that they're in. And that ends up being a big key to this versus just saying, hey, your job is to take stuff off the backlog, do it and make progress. You need some of that too. You need to get stuff done, (laughs) but you also need to leave some room for folks to bring their own ideas and, and to really try new things out. When you're talking to technology leaders, is there some shock that happens when they're like, I'm expecting these guys to talk about sort of this transformational technology implementation. And all of a sudden you come to them and say, hey, look, you actually have to make a good developer experience first before you can actually even approach the kind of velocity that you're looking for. I think for me, it was just a sorting function. It was a way of framing the conversation that gave them clarity around what they were buying and what was good or not take the industry-leading APIs and expose those from an IT substrate like VMware into the developer community and to connect those two things and to have the best of both through doing that. And I think that's just a different way of looking at your stack, which is like how developer-friendly it can be. Like just as an example, they want to use some new community code that just came out. Do those APIs support that community that's existed? And I think one of the things that Joe has really helped bring into the world is this unbelievable exponential growth of the Kubernetes community, which every day, I mean, I joke, can you keep up with everything going on? I have no idea. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I hear about stuff almost every day where it's like, that's really cool. I don't have time to look at it. (laughs) To me, that's what's really exciting about the Kubernetes community that you help germinate is like no one person even knows it today. Like everything is happening. And so as someone's solving one of these creative tasks, trying to get to that business value and solve the business problem, they can use the entire expanse of the ecosystem that's there. And I think that's another part of this developer enablement and innovation is you have to tap into the right ecosystems because there are ecosystems of innovation that are happening right now. Yeah, I think you have to have a structured way of, you may not be comfortable with just opening the floodgates and let folks take whatever they find out on the internet. But you also have to have a process where you allow some transfer in and you allow some usage of things out of that larger ecosystem. One of the things that we look at is we don't want to create sort of a silo within the cloud native ecosystem. We want to make sure that we can bring value, have a gentle introduction, and bring people so that they're in a place to take advantage of this sort of innovation engine that is this ecosystem, not cut them off from it. And I, and I think that's one of those things that I would urge IT leaders to think about is that how can you find ways to actually multiply your efforts by being a citizen of the ecosystem? 
I want to drill down to that because that fascinates me because community is a, a huge part of the way that I approach, whether it's practitioners or developers or executive tech leaders. And that community is is incredibly important in understanding what those ecosystems are like. So like you said, you're not going to be doing every single pull request for every single project that's out there, Joe, but you're aware and you're engaged with a community that's thriving, that's doing things and engaging with them. And okay, we're showing up and part of being relevant is showing up. And it's like the first step. If you don't show up, you just throw a check or maybe a couple of developers at it. You're not really engaging. Are you seeing like that being a big gap in the way that people approach that modernization acceleration that they're trying to do, this plan that they've always wanted? Now they're accelerating pieces of it. Do you feel like that community engagement is part of that missing piece? They don't have that plan. They don't have that budgeted or resources put towards that? I think everybody struggles with finding the right model to engage with communities. I think the ROI here, it's clear that it's positive, but it's incredibly hard to quantify. Exactly. Yeah. Those are the types of things that are just so hard to model around your business. I think everybody's struggling to find the right model, the right way to actually engage here so that they can do it in an appropriate way, realize that ROI and keep it under control and justify it to the folks who may not feel it as viscerally. That's the key there is that like everybody's struggling to do this. Now, that being said, I think we do see this other phenomenon that I think is is fascinating. Whereas I think some of the more progressive companies, they're viewing their action in the community as not just a way for them to receive things, but by giving back, they actually create opportunities to create a name amongst the developers. It helps with recruiting. It helps to up-level their own self-image in terms of, oh, are we just consumers of this technology or are we the ones that are inventing it also? And I think it's not unusual now for me to talk with companies and I'm talking with multiple hats on. One of those is like, hey, we're VMware and we'd love you to buy some Tanzu and vSphere, right? Because there's always the sales folks bringing me in and they get upset if I totally ignore that. And then, and then <laughs> there's the, hey, here's the guide to open source. Have you seen this project out here? This is really interesting because I want to be like, it's not just about our product. We want to solve your problem, even if that doesn't involve the stuff that we're selling. And then the last piece of the puzzle is that oftentimes we'll meet them in the community where they'll have their own open source projects that they're heavily involved in. And I'll be like, hey, that's really cool. I see you're doing this. Like, can we cooperate on that? Or they want to get involved in Kubernetes or other communities in some ways. And I'm like, hey, let's do some intros and see if we can get you off on the right foot in this community. So we really, it's like, it's everything from buying products to really sort of partnering to actually invent the next thing together. And that's a fascinating spectrum of engagement that I've seen across a set of customers. Yeah. And even in a really fast moving communities, I think two of the biggest communities within Tanza would be like the Kubernetes community and the Spring community. There's so much going on, but it also just gives us a really, I think, clear business model, which is that we package and enterprise ready a lot of that innovation in a fairly short cycle. And so it's not completely wild west, if you will, just grab anything off of Stack Overflow and GitHub and go, but it's fairly curated. But at the same time, the leaders I talk to, the question I ask them is that like, what journey do you want to go on? Do you want to go on this single vendor journey where you count on them to always hire the best and smartest people? Bill Joy had this quote I tweeted yesterday, which is like, usually the smartest people work elsewhere on any given domain. <laughs> it's sort of this inconvenient fact, like no organization has ever been able to kind of like build everything in software or math or language, any of these other big domains themselves. And so I think the fun thing that we're in is we participate in these big communities and then we package and integrate it. And we take people, I think, on the right journey of where things are happening. And I'm always learning from things that are happened in the community already. I hadn't even heard about them yet. Like someone in the community is already building that. It's funny that you said that because you, you guys have both talked about how you, there's so much going on and there's so much you're hearing about every single day. You don't have enough time to look at all of it. 
And so I, you start, I'm sure getting into these conversations, as I'm sure I do, where you have a technology leader, they have a very distinct vision, or at least they have something they want to accomplish. And they're overwhelmed at certain prospects. They're like, you know what, I can do this, this, and that. But you know what, all of that stuff over there just completely freaks me out. And I don't even know how to even dip my toe in there. How do you walk someone through who's just kind of saying, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm just getting my arms around some of the basic pieces of our application stack that need to make sure they're addressed. Now I want to do this sort of accelerated modernization thing. I want to engage more from a developer standpoint. I hear from my developers, they're jumping up and down, screaming at the top of the lungs saying, we got to do this and that and that. And it seems like they're all over the place. And so how do you then say, okay, this is how you need to listen to that developer team. There's going to be a lot of great ideas in there. Here's how you focus them. Here's what you focus on. Where do you help them? Because you talked about the journey. How do you help them start to walk through the labyrinth, if you will, of everything that's going on? I think there's two classes. Those that are just at the beginning of this journey. And I think there's the whole sort of Larry Wall, make the easy things easy and the hard things possible. First, we want to make the easy things easy so that folks that are getting started in this world can see some value without becoming experts in this world. And that's going to be an ongoing, evolving product story that we're bringing to bear. And then make the hard things possible means that if they're already down this journey and they have opinions and systems in place, we want to be able to add value to what they already have without having to rip and replace it all. There's an investment there. They've seen some success. They've learned some lessons. We don't want to invalidate that. We want to augment that. Whether it's VMware or others, I think there's a bunch of folks that really do have these sort of starter kits in terms of getting going in the community. And then from there, one of the things that we've seen talking to customers is that you got to start small and then build on it. So I'm thinking of T-Mobile specifically. They have some great stories around having their platform team and their application teams. And if you do this right, they start challenging each other. The platform teams provide something, the application teams start using it. They start seeing some gaps. They actually take that back to the platform teams. They solve that. It turns sort of the IT versus app teams or lines of business from being rivals that are fighting against each other and yelling at each other because they have conflicting goals to actually folks on the same team that are actually challenging each other to get better. And that's the dynamic that you really want to build for. And I think that is a sign of a, a super healthy innovation engine and partnership between IT and lines of business. We hear that articulated by our customers as, I really want to think of platforms as products. And I think that gets to this continuous yeah. feedback cycle between the team providing infrastructure and the team consuming and exploiting infrastructure for business gains. And I think that's at the spirit of this ongoing speed of innovation dialogue that I think the right leaders are really keying off. But things get in their way, right? Like sometimes finance needs to put an app ID with the project ID that lasts X months and a specific budget on everything. Yeah, that's always the funnest part of like every technology leader's job. Let me go and let me code everything right for finance and make sure that it's- And totally. security also ends up being another thing where it's like they have processes and those processes are, are well grounded in the way that things work. Part of empowering developers is to fundamentally make our systems more dynamic, more reactive to their needs. And a lot of the security processes and tools are built around a certain assumption around staticness. And so that ends up being a huge impedance mismatch oftentimes too. I think the, the good news is that on the finance and project front, we've seen people do in two weeks what they would have estimated might have taken them many, many months before. And so the finance people can be incentivized like anyone by those sort of results. And then on security, I think has been one of the more remarkable things is there's a paradigm where agility and security are not always enemies, right? Like if you think about some of the bug exploits that have come out, there are things that have maybe unpatched software or software that could have been fixed. 
And patching is really a velocity issue. Like how quickly can you change your system is common across both features and patching. And that's a big passion for me because like if you can take away some of that rote work that they were doing with low value before, and now you invert the pyramid of effort and you're starting to tilt it more towards the business. I think that's what starts to make some of this exciting. On the security front, it's a little bit of sort of one step back, two steps forward where, yeah, things change. But I think fundamentally at the other side of these transitions, we have much more opportunity to build more secure systems. And I think one example that is like, how fast can we patch? Another example is this shift from the sort of software inventory model, where it's like, if something's running on a machine, I guess we should like patch it and keep it running, moving towards a sort of declarative manifest model, which I have a system of record of everything that should be running in my data center. If it's not in the system of record, it shouldn't be running. That's fundamentally more secure because you can audit that. You can have processes around that. And then if you're like, oh, somebody launched a bash shell over here and it's not in our manifest of things that should be running, That's a big sign that you've had a security incident, right? Because you have a much cleaner record of what should be running. That's a total inversion of the way you think about these things, but it fundamentally moves us to a much more secure world as we look towards the other end of this situation. I've been a big fan of Joe's articulation of that more manifest-driven enterprise. And I sometimes start with that as like the simplest explanation of the shift. We used to have all of these sort of manual, specialized, imperative steps, and they didn't talk to each other, and it was hard to correlate them and keep track of their state in the deployment. And now you've got like one manifest, and the system's job is to keep the control loops running, to keep that manifest to be true. And you can ask that manifest at any time what should be true. And that is a big change operationally for people that are both looking to innovate at the infrastructure as well as the application level, I think. Are you at risk though in an organization? Because the manifest, it seems like a really great way, like you said, approaching like security by design is one of those sort of terms that gets thrown out a lot. And you have an approach that's intrinsically more secure, but you still have the risk from an organizational standpoint that you have a garbage in, garbage out. And that's an, of course, on the execution side. But I see that their leadership like, hey, like we have one system, one manifest to rule them all. Do you have any risk factors there where you have, is this really easier before? Are we adding additional burden before? Or are we we just setting ourselves up for having a system that's just not accurate all the time and people are relying on it? Well, I think you can definitely make that system accurate all the time, at least for the stuff that it falls under it. I think there is a question on whether any sort of description is comprehensive enough for all the applications that you want to do. And so I think this is one of those lessons that we're learning is that as we expand these platforms from being just focused on new greenfield applications that have been written to run on these things from the get-go to a wider set of applications that are We talk about, you know, modernizing applications. That's a journey in and of itself, right? You start with your monolith and you chip away at it and maybe it's never even done, but you want to see incremental progress and benefits along the way. There may be places where you need to break some of the rules. So I think that's part of the complexity of this world is how do we have a happy path that is going to solve 90% of your problems, give you the advantages of having that regular sort of way of describing applications that can benefit across security, across auditability, across cross controls, across all these different things, yet still have the sort of flexibility to deal with the exceptions with the things that don't fit into that model, because there's always going to be something that doesn't fit. There's always yeah. going to be an exception. So it's going to be some snowflake environment. It's always going to be something that's an outlier. I like the idea that you guys were bantering about earlier, which was sort of the platform as product. Because when looking at sort of the gaps in the way that some people are approaching this modernization and looking at how they're going to be able to solve the big problems they need to. So they got to go to the board, they got to ask for money, or they have to ask for shifts in budget. And when they go to that conversation, sort of that business level, business outcome conversation, 
how do you feel like it's best for them to start to position the way that you want to make that shift rather than chipping away at a monolith? How do they go and say like, let's actually accelerate. Let's do that two weeks of transformation that was originally going to be planned for like two years. The big pitch there has to be, it's going to happen whether you like it or not. In a lot of <laughs> it's it's um, coming. Brace well, yourself. I mean, the parable here and like, I don't know how accurate this is, but you're an application developer. You need to write a new app. You could file a ticket and wait two weeks to actually get a VM provision for you. And it'll probably be wrong. You have to file another ticket and wait another two weeks. And oh, we forgot to notify the networking people, oh, right? Oh my goodness. This is the life of so yeah. many enterprise developers. The bomb is sitting on some guy's desk and you got to go bring him a Snickers to sign the yeah, bomb. Yeah, it's like it. it's the, the whiskey economy. Or you could take your corporate credit card, swipe it over at AWS, get your app up and running and probably completed or at least a proof of concept out before that first ticket is resolved and you get that initial set of resources. And then on the other end of that, you submit your expense report and you dare your management to deny it because then you're going to have to take <laughs> the thing down. And so what happens is Amazon does these things where they'll actually go to CIOs and say, hey, you're spending millions of dollars with us every month. And CIOs like, no, we're not. I don't have a line item for that. And it mm -hmm. turns out that Amazon knows more about the spend from a company on AWS than that company does because they actually can track all the IP addresses for who's actually driving a bunch of this stuff. And then they roll that up into an enterprise agreement. And then all of a sudden you find out that you're like a big Amazon user, even though you never meant to. I think, and Joe, what you just outlined was like the digital transformation comic strip. That's what it was right there. I, well, <laughs> it's you know, the accidental digital transformation. Yeah. And so I think what we find is that IT has gone from this world where they are the ones that say, you must use X to do your job to the fact that they're competing with the public clouds for their own customers. And so that requires a shift of mindset. How can they produce a product internally that their application teams want to use? Now, it doesn't have to beat Amazon. It just has to be good enough. So you don't have to roll that dice for whether the credit card expense report is going to be approved or not. So our job is to provide those power tools such that IT teams can start to offer a competitive offering internally to help deal with the controls and the flexibility and all the sort of enterpriseness that like any mature enterprise needs. How do we actually square that circle and provide that cloud-like experience along with enterprise controls? And that's, I think, where we're headed with this ecosystem. And I actually maybe controversially deeply believe that over time that there can be more innovation from these more open communities just to circle back because you've seen public clouds that have gone from proprietary, say, streaming interfaces to saying, oh, well, we're going to do a managed Kafka service. Proprietary container interfaces to like, oh, hey, that guy, Joe Beta is Kubernetes. That thing might work. That wasn't all me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 allowed to, I'm allowed to have some fun with you. And so I actually think there's been a tilt recently of even acknowledging from the public cloud space that everyone is now competing for this more open community-centric zone of innovation above the infrastructure. No matter how big any single cloud gets, the ecosystem will always be bigger by orders of magnitude. And this is sort of the corollary of that sort of like, there's always smarter people outside of your company. That, that's the Bill Joy quote. And it was about Microsoft in its day. And if you look at Microsoft today, they very much realize they have to embrace open. They've got a Kubernetes strategy. They've got a Linux strategy. They're embracing spring. They're doing all of these things. And I, I think that's- And everybody's head spin. Microsoft is doing what? Open what? <laughs> <laughs> They've been increasingly adding Java interfaces to their cloud successfully. So I think that's the fun thing right now is there is this meta cloud, if you will, that's emerging and we're packaging it. And it's the right place for both IT control as well as, I think, developer enablement. So that's kind of what's fun about this journey. And I think the real inspiring thing that I think VMware is doing though is we're also trying to meet organizations where they are at. 
we're not giving them an all or nothing proposition of like, here's just this one little function as a service and refactor everything to that. It'll be great once you rewrite it all. Yeah. yeah and, <laughs> and if only all of your problems were trivial, we could solve them. <laughs> That's not yeah. <laughs> There's no problem that? we can't solve with 100 lines of JavaScript. Oh, yeah. Applications so, get more fun every time you write them over again. So I think we have the right series of APIs, the breadth of APIs that are more community driven and packaged for IT. Anyway, that's what gets me up in the morning to work on this fun challenge. Oh, it is. And a challenge it is. And speaking of packaging, maybe package up some of the big ideas that we talked about, whether it's community or whether it's manifest ways of thinking and sort of talk about, okay, what's going to be that executive conversation? And we always like to end the podcast with, what are you going to take the board or what are you going to take the e-staff meeting? What's going to move the needle from the top line and from the bottom line? Um, I'll go first. Like what okay. I hear. <laughs> there you go. Well, because I actually am prepping for a CIO conversation tomorrow morning. Right after this. <laughs> Try it out on us, James. <laughs> and so let me. Are you going to show your slides, James? This is this. There's, there's no visuals with the podcast, but if we were visual, I'm sure James would bring up his slides. I think the idea of cloud strategy, modernization strategy, and kind of digital transformation developer enablement strategy, I don't think they're all unrelated. And I think that you can actually move forward to this more manifest world, API-driven world that Joe's describing and get a lot of those as secondary benefits versus just focusing on cloud strategy by itself mm -hmm. or just focusing on app patterns or just focusing on legacy modernization. I actually think some of the stuff Joe's advocating around, just start with that manifest-driven worldview of technology and at least get as much as you can into that world. That gives you optionality both to developers and to cloud. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a board-level kind of theme. I think there's a similar sort of way that I talk about the same thing, which is when we say cloud, you mean different things depending on where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And since one point of view, cloud means infrastructure, running on somebody else's computers, hardware as a service. To developers, to application teams, cloud means something completely different. It's the three qualities that define cloud from an application point of view to me is API-driven, self-service, and elastic. Mm -hmm. But I think you can sum this up with like not talking to a sales guy as a service. <laughs> right. It's like, it's really about like, can I get my job done with as little friction as possible between me and getting the code shipped? What we need to do to be successful here is we need to decouple these things. We need to think about how do we provide that experience to empower and enable developers to bring their best work, to turn that into an innovation engine that drives the business versus reacts to the business. And then how do we do that so that we're, we're not constrained to a single cloud, that we can take advantage of that larger ecosystem? Because the hardware and that experience, those things can be decoupled. And that's the world that we're building towards. And then I think from the sort of top level CXO discussion, it really comes down to what are your goals when you say you want to move to cloud? Is it about getting rid of your data centers or is it about empowering your application developers to move faster? And being clear about where your goals are helps to really guide the conversation in terms of what you need to do to be successful. Nice. That reminds me of that Dilbert strip where the boss comes in and says, hey, I thought we wrote our smaller stuff to be cloud native. Why isn't everything still broken? And the guy's like, because we didn't actually write them to be cloud native. You can't just say like fancy words and have everything work right. And then the manager says, Kubernetes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I think ultimately these are tools to get you to a result. They are not the result themselves. And like as technologists, we have to just continually remind ourselves that the real value is what it brings to the business, not running fancy fun systems. Yeah, I, I really like the Kent Beck was someone who had helped start the agile movement, but then he went to Facebook for nine years, which didn't do a lot of the things he had advocated, but still delivered results. And he studied a lot of those results. And he's like, look, what I realized is there is no such thing as a technical win. 
Like there's different ways of solving the problem, but there's no abstract technical win. The win is delivering for the business. And if you're designing for the constraints that you're within, that can be a great win. And as much as I love technology, we definitely try to keep that outlook. And hearing it from Kent, who was very focused on his original conceptions, was humbling for me to see him reverse course. Nice. Well, I think Joe, James, you guys gave us a lot to think about. And I think there's a lot of different takeaways here that could actually really translate into board level conversations from different ways to work to different ways to engage with the developers to the community in order to accelerate and take advantage of opportunities that ultimately, which is the whole goal to be able to get things faster to market, to be able to provide better experiences. So I want to thank you both for joining the CIO Exchange podcast. Thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.